Welcome to our post-election special. The people of Israel spoke again, but when will we know what did they say and whether what they said aligns with what they wanted? When will we know? Along with my friend Jeff Becker, we will dive a little to give you the best perspective on who has the upper hand, when will we have the final results, and what we should expect from the last uh, legislative election for the 24th Knesset. So, Jeff, good evening. How are you doing? Uh, good evening, Kobe. Thank you for having me on. Hey, my pleasure, as always. So what do you say? Are you surprised? Uh, you know, I am. There was a lot of shocks that came out of the initial exit polls. I mean, you know, you can't take them um, 100% to heart because uh, the exit polls aren't the official count, and there's still a lot of votes that need to be counted. But what really stuck out to me was... The amount of support that Betel El Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir's party got, the religious Zionist party, I mean, they're polling right now at six to seven mandates. It's a lot more than the four to five that a lot of the polls had them at. And that really creates an interesting dilemma with the Haredi party, specifically UTJ, because a lot of Haredim who would support UTJ are now going to support Smotrich. So that's a shock. And that really can change up the dynamic a bit. And what also surprised me was that the Israeli Labor Party, I mean, seven mandates, you know, I remember about two months ago, they were it's irrelevant. Zero. Yeah, they were at zero. You know, they were having a major crisis. Merav Mikhaeli came in and it looks like she did a very good job at basically resuscitating the Labor Party and, you know, making it relevant again, at least. I mean, 17 mandates for the Labor Party, it, it puts them in a good position. I mean, especially compared to the election back in March 2020, when, you know, the labor merits combination of three-party labor merits gesture, they only got seven. So now labor by itself is able to pick themselves back up. It's not just the Labor Party. It's also Benny Gantz and Blue and White. You know, nobody thought they were not crossing the thresholds in the last couple of months. And then suddenly... Both, actually, Gantz and Meretz brought what we like to call a Gewalt campaign. You know, Gewalt for Midish, it's like help, you know, the city, the town is burning. And for Meretz, it was another Gewalt campaign. For Gantz, it was the first one. Gantz was putting his campaign saying that he was sacrificing himself. At one of his interviews, he actually said that he was the brave soldier who jumped on the grenade in order to save everybody else, and it worked for him. But let's start. Allow me to share, first thing, how many mandates the exit polls actually gave to each one of the parties. So those are the most up-to-date numbers of the exit polls. They are correct for 8 p.m. on March 23rd. And what we can see from here is that the Likud remains the largest party, with 30 to 31 mandates. Yesh Atid becomes the second party. You know, they split from uh, blue and white at that time. And the Air Lapid is probably going to be back again, the head of opposition. Oh, that's an assumption. So let's forget it for now. Shas is actually going to be the third party, growing in one mandate. The joint list, and we need to remind the audience that uh, the joint list split from Ra'am party, which is the religious Muslim party. And the joint list received eight to 10 mandates, while Ra'am is 
close to not crossing the threshold. That's why we don't have them on our slide. The next one is Israel Shelanu with six to eight mandates. Then we have UTJ. UTJ, the United Torah Judaism, actually are in a big problem at the moment. The exit polls give them six to seven mandates. And that's an interesting story because a lot of the younger generation ultra-Orthodox in the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox streams are nationalists. And a lot of them gave their voices to Bezalel Smutrich with the religious Zionist party. Everybody was doubting if they would ever cross the thresholds. And that was one of Prime Minister Netanyahu's greatest success. He didn't want to waste any votes on the right wing. So he brought up, he was the matchmaker between Bezalel Smutrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir. It's like the ultra-right wing with the ultra-ultra-right wing combined with the homophobic party of Noam, and he put them under one list. We're going to discuss it later because I can't see them really collaborating together. But UTJ got one mandate less because of them. The next one is Yamina. Yamina is also an interesting story. Naftali Bennett, until not long ago, was getting 22 to 25 mandates in the polls, started declining right after our friend Gidon Saar left the Likud and formed New Hope. Eventually, the exit polls give him seven mandates, but it doesn't mean that he's the biggest loser, and we're going to discuss it. Labor Party, as you said, grew from zero mandates in polls to seven mandates, and that's definitely a great success for Merav Michaeli. But we do need to remind our audience that not long ago, in 2015, along with the Bougie Herzog and the Tsipi Livni, they had 24 mandates. So if the Labour Party will not decapitate uh, Merav Michaeli's head as the chairperson, she actually may get a chance to renew the Labour and form a true left-wing party. As we said, blue and white with Benny Gantz, seven to eight mandates. That's one of the biggest surprises. Bezalel Smutrich with the new entry, six to seven mandates. Meretz was also not crossing the threshold and uh, they actually took a chunk of voters from the Labour Party in order to cross the threshold with six to seven mandates. And Gidon Saar, who also, in the first two to three weeks after he declared that he's going to go against Netanyahu and gained almost 20 mandates in the polls, eventually ended up with five to six mandates in the exit polls. He lost a lot of height, and it shows you that both for Saar and Bennett, a lot of the voters were undecisive. For them, those parties were like a parking lot. And they were just waiting to see who's the one they can vote for, as we say, in the money time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to say that in the buildup to this election, a lot of the people who indicated that they were going to support either Naftali Bennett's Amina party or Gideon Saar's New Hope party were actually center and center left voters who, I don't know, maybe they did not like Yair Lapid as a lot of people in Israel don't like Yair Lapid. And I think a lot of them just saw Sa'ar and Bennett as an alternative to Netanyahu. But when, you know, when it came to actually getting to the voting box, you know, being a center-left or centrist voter, I mean, they were reminded of who they really are. And that inspired them to vote for either Labour 
or blue and white because they those two parties more identically reflect their values and you know right wingers like Gideon Saar and Naftali Bennett. Yes, let's dive a little so we can discuss who are the winners and losers of what it seems to be the winners and losers of these elections. And once again, those are not the final results. We'll give the timeline in a short time. So besides the obvious winner for now, which is, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, we have a couple of absolute winners and some losers. The biggest winner is Arya Derry. All of his campaign was around Netanyahu and Shas, the love for God and for Bibi. He didn't speak about himself. He didn't speak about, you know, Shas. He said, we're going to keep Netanyahu. It's a continuance campaign to what he did actually in prior campaigns. He's aligned with Netanyahu and he's on his block for sure. The next one is Bezalel Smutrich. Not only that most likely he's going to get the same amount of seats, he's actually going to get more seats than uh, Naftali Bennett probably, because it's not just the seven mandates that he has on his list. If we need to remember one of Netanyahu's promises, and actually that's something that he can't break, is that the 28th mandate of the Likud party is reserved from somebody from Bezalel Smutrich's party. So Bezalel Smutrich will actually have eight hands, eight fingers in the upcoming Knesset probably. And he formed himself, he actually found himself to be the new, I wouldn't call it king, but prince of the settlers. Not to mention Bezalel Smutrich and uh, Bibi have a vote sharing agreement. They do, but I don't know if it will help them, you know, to get any mandate from each other. It depends on the total amount of votes and how many leftovers are being left behind. The next one is Mirav Mikhaeli from the Labour Party. It says Labour, oh my God, typo. But Mirav Mikhaeli, as you said, you know, she brought the Labour back from the dead. And that's a great success. The question for Mirav Mikhaeli is whether it's going to let and how she will move forward. So we'll need to keep up on that. Benny Gantz, once again, we discussed it a couple of minutes ago, and Naftali Bennett. But before we touch Naftali Bennett, let's go to the losers. On the losing sides, actually, we have four. The first one are UTJ, Moshe Gafni, and Yaakov Litzman that are not mentioned here, but eventually they got hit hard by Bezalel Smutrich. And you can say that it was actually Prime Minister Netanyahu. Because Netanyahu was campaigning for the religious Zionist uh, party. He was actively promoting people to vote. He went against Naftali Bennett at the last couple of days. He was telling his people, if you don't vote Likud, vote for Smotrich. And it hurt uh, UTJ because UTJ also aligned with Netanyahu. They're also in his coalition. And they were slammed. They were not expecting those votes to go away. So... The next one is Gidon Saar of New Hope, as we explained. And it's obvious, you know, he started with 20 mandates. He wasn't able to keep his uh, fuel until these days. To be honest, he lacks the charisma. Yeah. And another challenge that you have, you know, both with Gidon Saar and uh, Bennett, is that if you're a right wing, you don't have too many other options. You know that he never been at as prime minister, And if the other parties are not big enough, then it's going to be a center-left government. And eventually, it was a new hope for some people, but it ended up as a 
something smaller. Abbas Mansour of Ram, we don't know yet if he's in or out. He's close to crossing the thresholds in one of the exit polls, but it's uncertain, so we'll have to wait for the final voting numbers. As of now, he hurt the whole Arab society. Their joint list dropped from 15 mandates to eight, and a lot of it is because he split the joint list and he decided to run separately, and he was also collaborating with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I guess it hurt him a lot among the Arab society. What you do have to one, say about Mansour Abbas is that if he's in versus if he's out, I mean, if he gets four mandates, that could be a game changer in all of this. Definitely. But you can never tell where he's going to go. And I doubt, by the way, if uh, Smutrich and Ben Gvir, who are, I would call it, you know, Jewish uh, supremacy uh, leaders, if they will have any moral uh, stands not to be supported by Abbas Mansour if he's providing them what they want. So it's going to be an interesting situation. And once again, the last one is Naftali Bennett. We mentioned Naftali Bennett on both the winner's and the loser's side. I want to take us to another uh, slide, and it's this one. Yes, Bibi, or no Bibi? Eventually, that's the question. And what do we see here, Jeff? Well, we see a big turnout for the Likud. That's really the main thing that stands out. I mean, it's it's interesting what we see here because, you know, you see the no BB alliance and statistically you would think that, all right, well, they have the best shot at putting a government together because, you know, 59 and 60 versus 54 and 53. But things that you need to take into account is that the yes BB uh, alliance, I mean, they're locked in. Like they will go for Netanyahu 100%. And what it's not including right now is the kingmaker, Naftali Bennett and Yamina, who's probably going to bring about seven mandates. So if Naftali Bennett wants to go with the yes BB side, which would create probably, you know, the most right-wing government in Israel's history, ultimately, you would think that's what Bennett wants, being to the right of Netanyahu. But at the same time, Bennett also stated that he's running for prime minister. And that could put him in the no BB position. But he also said that he wouldn't recommend or ever serve under Yair Lapid as prime minister. So ultimately what you have is Naftali Bennett's the kingmaker and he can either go and serve under Netanyahu again and form a right-wing government, or he can kind of throw his hat into this, you know, the no BB alliance, which is, it's not an alliance. I mean, it's really just kind of like a hodgepodge of different parties that are totally complete opposite ends of the political spectrum ideologically. I mean, you know, you've like right-wingers like Avigdor Lieberman and the Israel Beitenu party, and you have merits in this no BB camp. I mean, the only thing they agree on is that they don't like BB. So ultimately, it's going to fall in Bennett's hands. And if he can get Netanyahu up to 61 mandates, I mean, I don't see any other option for him but to serve under Netanyahu and form a solid right-wing government. I mean... I'll kick it back to you to see what you can take out of it. But I mean, Yair Lapid's the biggest party in the no-BB alliance, put that in quotes. There's no path. He won't be able to unify all those parties. So, you know, I see personally either a fifth election coming up or a Netanyahu-like government. You know, the polls will, will show us in the coming days whether BB can get 61 with Bennett. And that's really what's going to ride on this. So... Your analysis was, was great. 
because technically you are right. The no BB uh, side or the no BB opposition, they have nothing to glue them together besides the no BB. I mean, it's not a strong enough glue. Gidon Saar with New Hope already declared that he's not going to get supported by the joint list and he's not going to sit with Meretz as well. Naftali Bennett said the same thing. Naftali Bennett also locked himself when two days ago on Channel 20, it's an Israeli uh, right-wing channel, they're trying to be the next, you know, the Israeli Fox News. It doesn't work that well for them, but Naftali Bennett said that he's going to challenge Netanyahu and they're going to have a debate on Channel 20. Netanyahu bailed, and Naftali Bennett embarrassed himself, bringing up a paper that his name is signed on, and he said, I will not support a government led by Yeshatid and uh, Yair Netanyahu. Yair Lapid. Hey, Yair Lapid, sorry. Uh, I, don't th- I don't think he'd want to support one by Yair Netanyahu either, to be totally honest, but that's a totally different conversation. Yeah, that's a definitely. <laughs> I, I don't know what Freud would have said about that, you know, that uh, oh. I brought up Yair Netanyahu. And the other thing is that they will not be supported by the joint list. Now, everybody knows, including in the right wing, that Netanyahu is an instrumental player. He will not have any problem signing with whoever it takes in order to stay in power. I'm actually quite sure that if he needs, and there are slight chances that he will need, he already, unlike the other leaders, He's the last one to come up and to show himself to his supporters. He's actually, I think he's starting in a few minutes. The last time he came to Ganata Rucha in Tel Aviv was at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Israel time. He's the last one. And the reason he's doing it, because he's working. He's calling the other parties. He's trying to form a coalition with them. I want you to guess who he called today. Who he called first. Uh, he called Arya Derry at Shas, right? Moshe Gafni at uh, UTJ. So you know, automatically he gets the Haredi locked in. Smotrick in the religious uh, Zionist party, he has them locked in. Correct. And I would assume he would have uh, called Bennett. So you're right, and that's actually surprising because in last elections, he thought that he doesn't need Bennett and that Bennett will come regardless of what he's going to do to him. So he left him to the end. And in these elections, actually, Bennett, he may be the next kingmaker. We already discussed it previously, you know, in one of the podcast episodes. And now it's even more real than in the last election. Because Bennett, with seven mandates, can either be the one who's uh, crowning a coalition with Yair Lapid, which is unlikely the way I see it, or supporting Netanyahu and giving him the 61st mandate. I don't know how things will turn around. I mean, I'm quite sure that Netanyahu will make this move and that Bennett eventually will compromise. As much as Bennett dislikes Netanyahu and wants to replace him, he's unwilling to put him down. Unlike Gidon Saar, who went, you know, straight against Netanyahu in these elections, mm-hmm. Bennett was quite vague about everything. Even his speech tonight was a very, I would say, mamlachti, like a unifying uh, speech, um, saying nothing, yep. keeping himself vague. A so classic he, politician speech. Definitely. But I will give him a credit. From what I saw, 
he was the only one with a translator, you know, for uh, people with the uh, hearing problems so they can understand what he's saying. So I will credit him that. No, no, seriously. They do. They do. Have a, Yamina does have a deaf activist. Um, who I, she's not too far down on the Yamina list. So I will give them that because uh, I didn't see it in other parties and I think it's great. But having that said, he understands that if you want to be Netanyahu's successor, it has to be within the Likud. You can't challenge Netanyahu directly because he's too powerful at the moment. And Bennett is planning for a long time to be a Likud member. It doesn't work for him and for Ayala Chaked because, let's say, not only Benjamin Netanyahu, but also his family, you know, we can call it uh, the Balfour submarine or the Balfour bunker, they are unaccepted. And they were vetoed, apparently from what people say. I can't say I heard it directly, that uh, Sarah Netanyahu, Netanyahu's uh, wife, the prime minister's wife, you know, vetoed both of them on joining the Likud party. So he's waiting for the day after Netanyahu. He doesn't really want to challenge him directly. So he's trying to keep all of his options open. His base will be unappreciative if he will form a government with Yair Lapid, Labour, Blue and White and Meretz, and not with a right-wing Orthodox coalition. But we need to take into consideration what now appears to be becoming a more likely scenario is that Netanyahu, even with Bennett, won't have a majority, won't have 61. So if that happens, what do you see will be the next steps? What will Netanyahu have to do? What will Bennett have to do? Will there be a fifth election? Will Lapid have a chance to form a government? So what happens with Bennett, Netanyahu still doesn't have a majority? You're right. So first of all, there are so many variants we need to take into consideration. The first one is that we need to wait for the final votes. And I think that the earliest we can expect the final results is Friday, because they are counting now all of the, I would say, regular ballots, but you have a lot more ballots that were floating around the state of Israel. And by that, I mean, you have the soldiers' votes, which are almost, uh, I would say, 180,000 soldiers, I think, serving in active duty in the IDF. You have people who are hospitalized that uh, need to take into consideration. And they are also voting in what you call double envelope votes. It's equivalent to vote by mail in America. So we are talking an overall of 450,000. And that's a hard number. Of that's, a big, that's a big votes. number especially since turnout in this election Definitely. has been much lower compared to past elections. And, you know, 450,000, like that's, that's a big, that's a game-changing number right there. Oh, definitely. It's three more mandates that are not being counted. When we're talking and this election, this election will very possibly be decided by one mandate. Yes. In past election, the threshold was 154,000, if I remember correctly. This election, by the way, it's going to be a bit lower because the participation percentage was lower. It was, if I remember correctly, 62.5%. So it will be, you know, the threshold will be lower. But 450,000 double envelope votes means three to three and a half mandates. How does those mandates are being divided? So first thing, the Central Election Committee needs to count all the votes. Then they need 
to eliminate all of the unkosher votes, which means if somebody marked the paper, if somebody added two parties into one envelope, if the envelope is torn up, if it's not signed, you have so many variants that they need to check in the polls. Every vote like that gets eliminated. So it goes down and it's not counted. It's not tally. Then they need to split it, the total amount of tally votes, in the threshold number, in the 3.25%, and that gives you more or less 3.9 mandates. It's almost four mandates. This way you can count, you know, how many mandates each party gets. Then they need to divide it by 120 in order to give those mandates. Plus, you also have the agreements between the, the parties. Uh, vote-sharing agreements. Yes, the vote-sharing agreements. That can also influence between one party to the other. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens only if there is a big gap, a big difference between those parties. Usually it helps the bigger party, by the way. I will say that. So that can change everything. That can help Ram cross the threshold. It can give Avigdor Lieberman another mandate, and it will shift things around, you know, with the no BB camp. It can actually help the Likud and give the Likud another mandate because a lot of soldiers and a lot of prisoners are leaning to the right. You so, really, so you think that out of the 450,000 votes, not outstanding, but um, coming from soldiers, hospitals, prisoners, you, do you think that leans more right or more center, more left? Traditionally, when it comes to the IDF, you can't really tell in which units they're leaning to the right, which units they're leaning to the left. It's something that's kept a secret. But I will tell you this, eventually the right wing is stronger among the soldiers, it's stronger among the prisoners, and I think that only in the civil service, you know, all of the emissaries abroad, uh, that's the only place that the left wing actually wins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's a hunch, I can't say it clearly, but it's going to be interesting days. You know, we'll have to follow up and see what's going to happen whether these numbers are going to change. I wouldn't eliminate the option of Netanyahu trying to get some more deserters like he did in the last time and to bribe people, to get people to support him uh, directly from the small parties. It won't happen with Meretz. It won't happen with Merav Michaeli at this time because Merav Michaeli is also one of the reasons she won because she was opposing the coalition. Mm-hmm. We can't tell if Benny Gantz have learned the lesson. Maybe he will try to be the shield again. And I will tell you that. Netanyahu knows that Smutrich and especially Itamar Ben-Gvir are loose cannons. And he will need somebody to uh, balance them. And eventually Netanyahu likes people to see that he's a right wing, that he's fighting. But he will be willing to compromise about a couple of things as long as, you know, he keeps his interests close to his chest. So he may, you know, ask Gantz to join his coalition again in order to balance the hardcore right wing. Gantz will say, okay, I'm, you know, once again, he's... uh, (laughs) Once again, jumping on the grenade. Exactly. He's going to jump on the (laughs) grenade again, and Netanyahu will have somebody to put the blame on. Exactly what he's doing, you know, all the time. He likes to put, you know, somebody else, even, you know, when you're talking about the Supreme Court, until recently, until his charges, you know, until his indictment case, 
Netanyahu was attacking the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court was actually his guarding shield because he knew that he can count on them, that he can let his uh, you know, coalition members to try and run any legislative they want, and the Supreme Court will block it. But if it's going to be just a hard right wing, he will not be able to play this game because they will tell him, why are you blocking us from changing you know, the law or from making those changes? So my guess is that even though he is able to form a right-wing government, he will try to get like a fifth wheel of a centric left, you know, support. Who do you think is most susceptible to jumping ship and uh, deserting their party to go to Bibi's coalition to serve as like the moderate, <laughs> you know, the, the security, or not security, but the safety net, you know, to prevent... Look, Gantz already did it. I doubt if he will have a problem doing it again. And even within Gidon Saar's party. Yeah, a bunch of them were, they were in Likud, what, like a couple months ago, you know? Yes. To say, oh, it didn't work out, I'm going to go back. Speaking of that, even though Gidon Saar is quite burnt at the Likud at the moment, there are voices within the Likud, like David Bitan, who was Netanyahu's head of coalition in the two Knessets before Miki Zohar. And he said that uh, we need to bring. Gidon Saar and Zev Elkin back home to the Likud. So I have no doubts that they will try everything in order to form a coalition. If that won't happen, I don't see the opposite camp being able to form a coalition. I think that Yair Lapid is too small and his opposition is too diverse, I would say divided within itself. I don't see Gidon Saar works with the joint list or with Meretz. I don't see Naftali Bennett works with the joint list or merits, even though Naftali Bennett said today, I'll take the necessary measures for the sake of the state of Israel. I think that, you know, he will have the excuse of, I don't want to drag Israel to a fifth round of election. I do need to ask this because I believe like the Knesset provision. So if Bibi can't form a government, the mandate gets passed down to the next person who the president who Rivlin thinks can, but if they can't form a government, then... Isn't the man, like anyone who can form a 61-person government in that period of time, it's up for grabs by any Knesset member, correct? So technically, the tradition is that the president is giving the mandate to the person who has 61 supporters for him to form the coalition. But I think that since it's so divided, he will give the mandate to the person with the most likely chances to form a coalition, Netanyahu at the moment has the most support because Gidon Saar declared that he's not going to support Yair Lapid, he's going to declare Gidon Saar. Naftali Bennett said that he's going to name himself, even though they don't stand a chance. And we do have a case like that, by the way, that in uh, 2009, when uh, Tsipi Livni won 28 seats in the Knesset and she had 28 versus Netanyahu with 27, no other party but Kadima was uh, recommending Tsipi Livni to form a coalition, and Netanyahu formed the coalition. I don't know if it will work. I don't know what will happen. Most likely that Netanyahu will get the mandate to form the coalition. And if it doesn't work, we'll go to a fifth round. But uh, I guess we'll know more, you know, in the next couple of days. Yeah, so I guess we all just got to stay tuned. Oh, definitely. Never a dull moment in the state of Israel. Oh, no. <laughs> It's always a balagan. Yes, definitely. 
All right. Well, Kobe, thanks for having me on to discuss this. I mean, I know I'll be following it very much in the next coming days. I'm sure you will be as well. And, you know, hopefully we'll be back here once, uh, you know, the numbers are more accurate and we'll go from there. Definitely. And Jeff, thank you very much for joining me again today. I would like to wish you and to our audience a happy Passover. And stay tuned and uh, follow our page, you know, like our page Balagan on Facebook. And the podcast itself is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. So look for us, subscribe, and of course, uh, like and comment. Always a pleasure having you, Jeff. Chag Sameach, and uh, good night. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.